The other day I, I was fortunate enough to wake up, you know, a bit sleepy, turn the TV on to watch the news, my, my favourite morning show, Sunrise. And they were talking about this giant meteor that was going to pass precariously close to Earth. Yep. Did you know on August the 10th, asteroid 2006 QQ23 flew past Earth at about 10,400 miles per hour? Just imagine the speeding ticket. That's about 16,740 kilometres. It came within 0.049 astronomic units from hitting Earth. 0.049. I've calculated that out and that's about uh, 4.6 million miles. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very close. But, you know, it is close enough uh, for them to, to classify it as an object, of a, an object as a near-Earth asteroid. A lot of us may remember 1986 and all the interest around Halley's Comet passing. People got all excited about its passing, probably because it only passes every 75 years. I also remember the total solar eclipse in 1976. Now I'm cutting some of you out, aren't I? When it went dark in the middle of the day. I remember it because it was the day we were celebrating my brother's 21st. Often... When we're up my son's farm, I wake up at night. <laughs> and because of the lack of light pollution, the sky is really clear. And you just have to look up into the sky and you see numerous amounts of shooting stars. Bits of stuff being burnt up as it enters our atmosphere. But if I lived in ancient Middle Eastern days without the benefit of modern technology and well-trained scientists ready to explain everything in the sky, then these strange things happening in the sky would have been seized upon as a sign. It would be saying something significant was about to happen. Of course, near misses happen all the time. But if one of them just happened to hit Earth, it would make a giant hole and would release as much energy as several atomic bombs. There's no question of the significance of that, is there? Well, in Jesus' day, people paid significant attention to the night sky. Not that they thought something was going to come crashing to earth. No, the significance of things in the night sky was because they believed they would tell them about something imminent, rise or a fall of a king or an entire empire. So when Jesus' disciples ask him how they would know when the frightening events that he was talking about were going to take place, 
they were probably thinking that they would be something in the skies, something like a comet or an eclipse. And this would give them a sign to look for. Jesus talks about signs a little later in, in Luke. But the main thing, the main thing that he wants his disciples to learn for now is that there is going to be a period of waiting when they'll have to be patient through dangerous and difficult times. But what are they waiting for? Well, Luke, more than any other gospel writers, is willing to give us an answer. Alert readers, people that read Luke, shouldn't be surprised about Jesus making this prediction. It's been bubbling along for about the last 10 chapters. If you go back only a few chapters, though, in in chapter 19, verses 45 to 47, you would read stories about Jesus overturning tables and driving out those selling things in the temple. Now, firstly, I want to make one point, because this, this passage has been abused in the past. Jesus' action... This dramatic action is not and should not be used as some sort of justification for anger within the church or driving people out of the church. No, this action in the temple was planned and purposeful. It was a prophetic sign, a type of warning that was things to come. In this scene, Jesus is behaving as a prophet would. Prophets were well known for doing outrageous behaviour and not behaving like the rest of society. Just remember the other great prophet in the New Testament, John the Baptist. He behaved exactly like they would expect a prophet. So here we have the temple, this most beautiful building. It was decorated with skills and love over a hundred years. It was more than just a building, though. It held a central part in the nation's life, its religion and its imagination. For the people of Israel, it was the place that Jesus was saying was going to be torn down. It had become a perversion of Israel's call to be the people of God. I was trying to think of uh, something similar, some sort of building or some iconic thing in Australia, some institution uh, that I could use as a similarity. If you think of one, let me know later. But I came up with Uluru. Bit hard to tear that down, so I discounted that. Or maybe either the Sydney Opera House or the Sydney Harbour Bridge. But neither of those seem to fit as a significant place of worship for the whole community. But of course, I had a light bulb moment and I came up with the answer, the MCG, the Temple of Worship of Sport. Well, I'm not too sure if we have anything like the temple in Jesus' day. I'm sure that either way, that if any one of these that I've mentioned were torn down, yeah, look, We'd be a little upset, wouldn't we? But I'm not sure it would tear at the heart of us as a nation, as it would have done for the devout Jew. 
And I think it's because they aren't places where God has dealt with us for over a thousand years. Jesus' warning to his disciples about what was to come was more to do with the fact that he would be no longer with them, but they were still to be his followers. Others would come along, others would come along and pretend to be him, or at least say that they spoke on his behalf. The world would be in convulsions with wars and revolutions, and these would seem all the more difficult without the luxury of television, radio and the internet. You see, people would hear about these events via rumour, via travellers, who would of course come along and pass on the news with the normal, you know, the normal exaggeration. It is clear though that Jesus was expecting difficult times ahead for his followers, knowing full well that they would be marked as undesirables. Jesus, Jesus would be marked in the short term as someone who led the people of Israel astray, encouraged them not to keep the law. With all his talk about God's kingdom, the kingdom of peace and grace for all, people that followed Jesus would be easy targets. They'd be easy targets within Israel and it wouldn't be long before non-Jewish communities would follow that example shown by the Israelites and also use the disciples as an excuse for everything that went wrong. It would seem that it wouldn't be long before Christians would be to blame for everything and anything that happened. They would become a soft target, an easy target, the ones everybody loved to blame and or to hate. If ever they needed patience, if ever they needed security, it was going to be then. But Jesus also makes a promise. In verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. This should not be taken as a reason not to continue the hard work of studying scripture and regular, other regular Christian teaching, but it does refer to times when people are on, on trial, when they're on trial for their lives because they were followers of Jesus. There are plenty of uh, stories in the first generation uh, Christians uh, between the time of the resurrection and about 30 AD and the fall of the temple that bears out that prophecy. You only need to read Acts to see the number of times when they're described as being, you know, as having spoken boldly or spoken with boldness. And yet others would testify that Jesus had indeed been with them and given them words to say. Well, these are great passages of reassurance and would have been vital in its specific references to first generations Christians. But it also has a good deal to say to the church today as well. Whenever 
whenever Christians are persecuted for their faith, and sadly, it's still quite common in the parts of the world today, they, they need not only our prayers and our support of their fellow as believers in countries like ours, but also the comfort and encouragement of Jesus' words. Jesus' words like, don't let anyone deceive you. There'll be a chance to tell your story. I'll give you wisdom. You'll keep your life through patience. Listen to the words of promise. Listen to the reassurance in those words. These are and still should be held. We should hold on to them as precious promises. They should be learnt. We should be able to recall them. We should be able to recall them to our memory and cling to them. We should be able to cling to them when we're finding it difficult, in our moments of need. These are Jesus' promises to the first century Christians and they continue to be the promise to us today. Don't let anyone deceive you. Take a chance to tell your story. I'll give you wisdom. You'll keep your lives through patience. In Jesus' name. Amen.